the most simple, complicated businesses on earth, BDC's Industry-Focused Financials Edition. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. This is Gabby LaPera in the studio, and I am joined by Jordan Wathen on the phone. Jordan is our resident expert on business development companies, which we will be calling BDCs because that's far less of a mouthful. And he is also an excellent writer analyst that we have here at The Motley Fool. Uh, this episode goes out to Levi Waddell of South Dakota, the brave soul who requested more information on BDCs. God bless you. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are currently 51 publicly traded BDCs with a combined market capitalization of about $32 billion. And BDCs have proliferated, especially recently, but they started back in the 1980s when Congress created the legal form um, for them. But uh, they are, they're a very kind of confusing company form. And do, do you want to tell us a little bit about how to think about BDCs in general? Like, what exactly are they? Right. So, you can think of them somewhat as like a real estate investment trust or a REIT. Um, by law, they have to distribute most of their income in the form of dividends, which results in those huge dividend yields you see, 8 to 13% even. Uh, but unlike a REIT, they aren't investing in real estate, right? So, in general, they're making loans to companies to buy other companies whether it be a private equity firm that wants to buy a target for one of its funds or a company that wants to sell out to a family member. They're making, they're making cash flow loans. They're riskier loans. So a typical BDC loan might yield 9 to 10% even. So which, it's a little bit like a, like a REIT and a venture capitalist firm had a baby. Right. So where a REIT's going to buy very low risk, for the most part, real estate and hold it and lease it, a business development company is going to make loans to a business that's too small for Wall Street normally. So they're not going to issue, they can't issue bonds. They don't have that mechanism to raise money. And the regulators have generally deemed these kind of loans too risky for banks to hold because obviously in the last, lost change in the last 10 years with banks, with regulators being happy about what they're lending to. So uh, that's kind of where the BDCs step into play. They, they make loans based on cash flow instead of assets. So a bank will loan you money to go buy a car or a building, but they can't go lend you money to buy a business at a huge you know, multiple of earnings, for example. Right, which is why Congress created them in the first place to kind of fund these like small private businesses that might eventually one day grow into something big enough to go public. But um, you did mention something earlier, which was private equity and um, private debt, which are both things that BDCs kind of hold. Um, do you wanna do you wanna explain for our listeners what those are? Sure. So private equity, it's, it's kind of in the name, uh, private equity. So it's, it's ownership of a company that isn't public. So the Blackstones of the world, the KKRs of the world, they raise huge amounts of money from investors and they have a mandate to go buy companies, whether it's a public company or a piece of a public company. Kind of a classic case is not to turn this into a car show or anything, but uh, Ford used to own Hertz, the rental car company. And private equity buyers were saying, you know, Hertz is so undermanaged as being part of Ford. Ford had a very convenient thing with Hertz. If they made too many cars, they could just push them over to Hertz to go rent them. And they said this company could be better run if it were separated. So the Blackstone, well, Blackstone wasn't involved, but private equity partners came in and they said, okay, fine, we'll buy this business and use it. They want to generally use as little money as they can, right? So a private equity firm 
only wants to use very little of their investment capital to buy out a company. They want to go borrow as much money as they can to finance the purchase price. The idea being that the less money of your own that you use, the higher returns on your money that you get, right? Right. So private debt, the way to look at it is it's a loan to a business that isn't publicly traded. Uh, most of these loans, th this really interesting thing about private debt is that there isn't really a market for it per se. Uh, Bloomberg wrote a piece and they described it as being one of the last remaining areas of finance that's still done over telephones and fax machines. It's kind of archaic in that way. That's there's no, crazy. There's no liquid market. It's not like you can, a bond you can sell fairly easily, a private loan to a private company. There's not that much public information about that company. Not easy to buy or sell. And so for that reason, it's one of the reasons at least why these tend to be higher yielding investments for BDCs. Oh, so that actually leads perfectly into my next question. How do you know what a BDC is investing in? Like, can can you know? Well, you can to some extent, uh, and that's that's something that makes BDCs difficult to invest in. Is although they're very transparent, they're also not transparent at all. So you can open an annual report for a BDC and find a list of all its investments. They'll show you. You know, we made a loan to this company in this amount, this is how much it pays, and this is when it's due. But that company might be, for example, a mattress firm. Private equity loves to buy and sell mattress companies. And <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of a running joke. Mattresses and bowling seem to be popular. That's but, so interesting. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of weird what they end up buying. Uh, and so you, you know the name of the company, but you can go Google it if you want to. You're not going to find much about it. You're not going to find its financials. Absolutely. You know, you'll never know what the company's borrowed from other people. You never know. It, right. Because these are yeah, small just, private companies. They don't have publicly available 10Qs. They don't actually have to disclose anything that they don't want to. Right. And generally, the owners have a vested interest in keeping as much private as they can. So if you're a family who owns a small local business, and you're making a ton of money, you probably don't want your competitors to know. You don't want people in the local area who could compete with you to know. So there's kind of that too is part of the reason why you might go seek a loan from BDC is you don't have to disclose all the information that you might have to if you were going to try to sell it to, say, a public bond fund to raise money. So, so how risky would BDCs be then? Because you're investing in a company that's investing in another company that you don't really know anything about. Right. So obviously they're, they're pretty high risk, right? So the way to understand risk, at least with any, I think this goes for any financial company, is to look at the past. And the past is no, what, what's the common phrase? There's no guarantee of the future or guarantee of future results. So you can look and look at a BDC and you can see its performance over time. Uh, you can see they report their realized gains or losses, which kind of tell you where they've made money and where they've lost money tells you whether over time they've had gains in excess of their losses, which is ideal, right? You'd want to see a company that's making investments and generating gains, mm -hmm. but it's not so common. Um, so, so what kind of market conditions, because just like REITs have particular market conditions that are really beneficial to them, like right now the really low interest rates are great for REITs because they can get loans for super cheap and buy up all this property, are there types? Are there particular types of markets that are really good for BDCs? And similarly, are there really bad markets for BDCs? Well, right, right now is really an interesting time to be talking about BDCs and market conditions because, at least year to date, I think we're the the average BDC is down about thirteen percent. Hasn't wow. been so good. 
Yeah. Uh, but in terms of market conditions, the most important thing is really credit conditions. How, what is the default rate on your average loan? And right now, that's something the market's trying to understand is how well will BDCs do in the future? So when you look at, let's, let's throw a different company in here. If you look at a bank like Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. they report their loans net of what they expect to lose over time, right? So let's say we have a trillion dollars in loans, but we're going to lose 20 billion over the next X years on these loans. BDCs don't do that. They just report their loans as they are. So that's one of the things that you have to think about as an investor. And it's one of the things that the market's struggling to handicap kind of is how much loan losses should we price in? And right now, especially, it's a very interesting time because oil and gas companies are obviously hurting. BDCs finance a lot of oil and gas companies. There's also metals and mining is in a very good sp space right now. Commodity prices are way down generally. That's mm -hmm. one of the things that you have to that you have to look at for BDCs is like so in general you can generally know like what industries they've invested in. And if they're doing poorly, the BDCs are going to do poorly because those people are going to default on their loans. Right. Absolutely. So if if you go into a filing for a BDC, they usually break it out by industry, and it's not always perfect. But they'll say we have X percent of our investments in oil and gas, or X percent in business services or X percent in, say, lodging, for instance. And so you can kind of get a general feel of what their book looks like so, without going through every single loan item by item. So for BDCs, is uh, are rising interest rates something that we should be worried about? Uh, in a sense, and that's something that's difficult too. So as rates go up, obviously you'll probably have higher defaults. Some companies won't be able to handle the higher interest rates on their loans because most of the loans that BDCs make are floating rate. Uh-huh. Uh, so as interest rates go up, the borrowers will have to pay more. But there's kind of also the view that if interest rates are rising, the economy should be doing spectacularly because the Fed's not going to raise interest rates if the economy isn't doing so well. So it's kind of, it's a mix and match, right? It's it's one thing that's very hard to it's it's hard to it's hard to say in general. But I would say if I had to if I had to say I would say rising interest rates will be generally good for BDCs, generally. Interesting. Um, okay, so I uh, we're 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 uh, kind of entering the final portion of our show where I just want to ask you for our for our listeners, what are the top three? or so questions you should ask yourself before investing in BDCs about the BDC itself? Like, what should you look for in the BDC? Well, one thing I like to look at, especially, is their, their performance on realized investments. So, you, have, you can have unrealized gains or unrealized losses. You can have realized gains or, realized, or unrealized gains. I think I got all of those. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, re the reason why I like realized gains and losses is because it tells you what they made or lost on investments they have already sold. So that's not investments that they're doing guesswork on. They're saying, well, this is still a good loan, even if it might not be. That's investments they've sold to someone else, to another buyer at a price the other person likes, right? So that's a better indication of whether or not that, that was an, a good or bad investment. Right, it's like, when it's done, when you can see a sale. Right? How, they're, how they're actually doing. Because that is something how? that I want to point out to our listeners, is that a lot of the accounting that goes on with BDCs is generally guesswork. Right, it's completely guesswork. Uh, most of their assets are level three assets, which, you know, if you're not an accountant, that's something that basically says, hey, we're doing a bunch of guesswork to come up with this valuation. And a lot of times <laughs> they differ from BDC to BDC. It's amazing. Some BDCs will mark a loan at 
100% of par value. Let's say it's perfectly good, and another one will come out and say it's only worth 80% of par because we think it's riskier. So it's kind of a fascinating disconnect there. And that's why I really like the realized gains or losses over time. And unfortunately, most BDCs are relatively new, so there's not a lot of history. A lot of them have only been investing in, you know, while the market's going up. So, but for the ones that have, you know, been there through a full market cycle, say an Aries Capital, for instance, they're excellent. They've had an excellent history of realizing gains in excess of their losses, which preserves book value over time. Uh, that's awesome. Um, that was a really good explanation of that. Uh, I know. I know that you were. We were talking earlier about this, and you said that one of the things that you like to look at is um, the portfolio composition. Right. So BDCs in general, they're making loans. I would say the typical BDC probably has ninety percent of its book invested in loans to companies, uh, but the other ten percent is typically equity investments in companies, mm-hmm. and that debt to equity split is, can be especially interesting and important because obviously nothing changes with public versus private debt is still generally safer than equity right right so like what we were talking about earlier about understanding about how the general market is doing to understand how their portfolios is along with their loans their stock portfolios along with their loans are going to do because if a bdc has a huge stake in like a gold company for example don't know why they would but maybe they do um if gold in general is going down then that bdc is probably in a lot of trouble right right so yeah especially if it's an equity stake um one of the ways when we're talking about level three and how they value these companies one of the best ways is to compare it to a publicly traded company so when stocks are down generally you would hope that a bdc would market its equity portfolio down because those companies simply aren't worth as much as they might have been before and so that's something to watch out for. If a BDC, since BDC accounting is a lot less transparent and a lot trickier, I guess, um, if the whole market is down yet the BDC's portfolio is still up, it's one of those things you kind of have to ask yourself: like, are they being a hundred percent honest with themselves about what's going on with their portfolio? Right. That's one of the things. It's really, it's really hard as an outsider when you're looking into the portfolio. Because they obviously know way more than you. You also know that they have an incentive to tell you that, hey, maybe things are a little better than they might be. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's not always bad, right? I mean, markets go up and down, whether stocks are worth 8% less right now than they were at the start of the year. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, yeah. that's something that plays out over time. So, one of the big things to um, look at, because for any company, you kind of have to look at the management, um, but especially for BDCs, you have to trust the management since they are making these decisions kind of behind a curtain, if you will. Um, so I know that the third thing that we talked about earlier that you really think that you should look at is what kind of management incentives there are, right? Absolutely. I think there's not an executive in the world that won't make a decision to make more money. You know, I, I think that's <laughs> how you become a CEO of a company, right? Right. You, you, you have to have a little, you have to be a little greedy. So as you think about which BDCs to invest in, I would definitely take a look at management incentives. And unfortunately, most of the industry is compensated based on the size of their assets and not necessarily the returns they're generating on their assets, which can lead to some very serious problems. Um, what happens is that companies that aren't necessarily great investors still manage to raise a whole bunch of money and they're happy to plow it into whatever they can because they'd happily collect their 2% of uh, their 2% management fee every year. Which can be substantial, right? If you run a $5 billion BDC, 2% of that's $100 million a year. And maybe you have 50 employees, that's you know, $2 million that you can spend per employee. Obviously, they're not. They're taking a lot of it to profit. 
Right. Um, and I know that there's two basic types of BDCs, right? There's ex- externally managed and internally managed. Can you can you kind of expound on the differences between those two? So an externally managed company is more like a fund. So what happens is the external there's an external manager. This is going to get this is going to be a little complicated. There's an external manager who runs the fund. The fund is what you're investing in. And each year they take a percentage of the assets and a percentage of the returns generated on that fund to pay the external manager. And that covers all the salaries for their analysts, for, you know, the accounting staff, whatever. Whereas with an internally managed company, you have the assets that are managed by people who work inside the company. So you'll see their payroll, you know, their payroll expenses, et cetera, in their profit and loss statements. With an external, externally managed company, that you don't see that because just the fees pay for it. So, so is one probably a little bit more beneficial for an investor to invest in? Speaking very, very broadly, I would say that internally managed companies tend to be better. Uh, when I think transparency kind of plays an important role there. So when people can see how much exactly is going to payroll or how much exactly is going to executive compensation, it kind of puts more of a limit on it. Right. Uh, well, and I know that that's something that... So one of the things with BDCs is that activist investors often get very interested in them. Um, so that's just one of the things that I know that they tend to go after is management that is compensating itself incredibly unfairly. Right. Yeah. Especially <clears throat> activism now has been is a huge factor in the industry. And I think it will continue to be uh, because as you look out there, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of BDCs that say, hey, our investments and everything else, this company's worth $10 a share. The book value is $10 a share. And then in, investors are saying, cool, give me $10. And the BDC manager says, well, you can go sell it in the stock market for $7. It's like, no, you said it, you said it was worth 10. Why isn't this selling for 10? So that's one of the things that activists are increasingly getting involved with is how can we, how can we make sure that a BDC that reports a book value of $10 per share ultimately is selling in the market for $10 a share? And one of the easiest ways is obviously to improve the BDC's income. And one of the best ways to improve a BDC's income is to cut expenses. Right, which is a lot of management fees, <laughs> really, a lot on of the salaries. Fees, right. Um, yeah. Okay, so we are actually starting to run out of time, but thank you so much. You helped break down a very complicated topic for our listeners. Um, and listeners, thank you very much for accompanying us on this incredibly deep dive into a difficult topic. Um, it's really funny because I get emails from both sides of the spectrum. Some people say, make it simpler. Some people say, this is industry focus. And I agree with those second emails, the ones that say, this is industry focus. You should really, you know, do these like, deep dives into financials, and we, we try and keep a balance, but today was definitely a deep dive day. Um, ultimately, kind of wrapping this all up, BDCs are probably not for the casual investor. They require a lot of research. They're very complicated. They need a lot of monitoring. So, unless you're really willing to spend the time understanding this, this probably isn't the investment for you. Um, since we're running out of time, um, I do, but I do want to do two things. I want to plug um, Jordan's article. He wrote a really great article with 12 predictions for how BDCs will do in 2016. Um, if you want that, just email me at industryfocus@fool.com. And we also recently posted a um, list, or we will post. No, that's not true. We're not going to post it at all. In fact, if you want this list, this other list I'm about to plug, you also have to email me at industryfocus@fool.com which is a list of our best articles of 2015. Um, 
really cool list. I voted on those articles. I like those articles. Uh, again, that's at industryfocusatfool.com. Um, the last thing, they're just giving me increasingly longer lists of things to plug for every show, so I hope you guys are still with me. The last thing is um, we have a mailbag episode next week, so if you have any questions, go ahead and email me. And starting with the new year, I'm supposed to plug the episode that comes after me. So Tuesday's episode will be very exciting. Apparently, they're interviewing David Gardner, Sean O'Reilly, and Vince Shen with consumer goods industry focus. But who wants to listen to them when you can listen to financials and all these rambling announcements? Anyway, <laughs> if you guys are still with me, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks for joining us, and have a great week. Music